Welcome to Head & Neck Innovations, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest innovations, discoveries, and surgical advances in otolaryngology head and neck surgery. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Head & Neck Innovations. I'm your host, Paul Bryson, director of the Cleveland Clinic Voice Center. You can follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Paul C. Bryson. And you can get the latest updates from Cleveland Clinic Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery by following at CLE Clinic HNI. That's CLE Clinic HNI. You can also find us on LinkedIn at Cleveland Clinic Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery and on Instagram at Cleveland Clinic Otolaryngology. Today I'm excited to be joined by guest Dr. Vai Bramprasad, an otolaryngologist, head and neck surgeon who specializes in surgical sleep and snoring treatment. Dr. Ramprasad, welcome to Head and Neck Innovations. Thanks so much. I'm really excited to be here. Dr. Ramprasad, let's start by having you share some background on yourself for our listeners, where you're from, where you trained, and how you came to Cleveland Clinic. Sure. So I actually sort of have roots stemming from Ohio. I was actually born in Cleveland, Westlake to be specific. Moved around a lot when I was younger, so spent some time in California and India as well. But I uh, eventually finished my undergraduate degree at Miami of Ohio and uh, went to medical school at Duke and completed my residency in otolaryngology at the University of Pittsburgh. I took sort of the less traditional path of actually doing a uh, sleep medicine fellowship at the University of Colorado before coming here to the Cleveland Clinic and and, you know, one of the things that really got me interested in sleep was really the, uh, the technology as well as the sort of uh, advancements in surgical intervention for obstructive sleep apnea over the last decade or so. I wanted to be sort of in a field within otolaryngology that was sort of on the cutting edge and really evolving throughout sort of my anticipated uh, career trajectory. So uh, sleep and uh, sleep surgery sort of proved to be a pretty good fit for me. Yeah, thanks for that. I mean, there really are a lot of exciting things uh, happening in sleep. Anyone listening, it can be so frustrating to wake up after a night of sleep and, and feel unrested. And, you know, obstructive sleep apnea affects millions of people in, in the United States each year. As you know, and our listeners probably do too, there's several long-term complications. You know, one of the methods I'm hoping that you'll talk about is the hypoglossal nerve stimulator, you know, the Inspire Upper Airway Stimulation Device. Can you tell us a little bit more about this technology? And I also, you know, I'm hoping that you'll maybe give us some sense of where other technologies might be going. This seems like a very effective first step, but I think there's more. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So hypoglossal nerve stimulation has been sort of the most exciting recent development in the treatment of obstructive sleep apnea. And really, it was sort of the culmination of decades of research evaluating the utility in stimulating the hypoglossal nerve, so the nerve that sort of controls the movement of the tongue, the treatment for obstructive sleep apnea. You know, a lot of this research started in the early 2000s, and it really sort of resulted in, in the landmark trial that led to the subsequent FDA approval of INSPIRE, which was the STAR trial. So this was a trial that was sort of multi-institutional. It, um, it actually prospectively followed around 126 patients that were CPAP intolerant. So they had tried CPAP for uh, various reasons. They were not able to tolerate it, but they had moderate to severe obstructive sleep apnea, and they underwent implantation of the hypoglossal uh, nerve stimulator. You know, the, that initial trial actually showed that overall, 66% of patients had response to therapy. So they had cure of their sleep apnea. 
and their median AHI, the hypopnea index, which is sort of the main measure of severity of uh, obstructive sleep apnea, actually were decreased by around 68%. So the median baseline for these patients was around 29.3 events an hour, and it came down to nine events an hour. So what 29.3 is uh, close to severe obstructive sleep apnea, and nine events an hour becomes mild sleep apnea. So it was actually very effective. And, you know, the nice thing that we've seen with this type of therapy is we've actually been very systematic in collecting outcomes data to see how patients have been doing longitudinally. And we found that, you know, over the last decade or so with sort of modifications in technique, also changes in how we've been selecting patients that 66% that responded to therapy has now become a little better up to 70 to 75% of patients that are responding to hypoglossal nerve therapy. The surgery itself, it's really evolved over the last decade as well. Um, initially, the first iteration of the surgery actually involved three incisions. So it was one incision in the neck, one incision in the chest, and one incision in the flank. And over the last three or four years or so, we've now sort of consolidated that into a more minimally invasive approach with only two incisions. So it's just one incision in the neck and one incision in the chest. And essentially, through the incision in the neck, it involves the surgical implantation of the electrode cuff on the hypoglossal nerve. And the electrode cuff is then connected to a wire that's actually tunneled from the neck into the chest that actually um, interfaces with a generator with a sensor. And that sensor is able to sort of detect your inspiration and expiration. It actually times stimulation to the hypoglossal nerve with each inspiration, essentially. In, in a rough sense, you can imagine that protruding the tongue sort of improves the upper airway in terms of increasing the space behind the tongue with obstructive sleep apnea. But we've actually found uh, through further investigation that hypoglossal nerve stimulation not only affects the space behind the base of tongue, but it actually ultimately improves the uh, retropalatal airway too. So essentially, it stabilizes the entire upper airway from the palate to the base of tongue and even the epiglottis. So one of the sort of reasons why this therapy has been so successful is we've found that just doesn't really move the tongue. It's sort of, that's sort of a simplistic way to look at it, but it actually provides multi-level airway dilation. That's exciting. That last little piece, I have to say, I was not aware of that, but it, it makes sense. You know, the pharynx, as you know, is very much involved with, with sleep and the tone. And so, you know, tell me a little bit more, you know, so in the present day, what are the steps or the qualifications to become a candidate to get a hypoglossal nerve stimulator? You mentioned sure. CPAP intolerance, but there's probably more. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, CPAP intolerance is sort of the main criteria in patients with obstructive sleep apnea. And, you know, I just want to emphasize also that while this is really exciting therapy for, for, for patients that really are able to tolerate CPAP, CPAP is still sort of the gold standard for obstructive sleep apnea. We know we have a great body of evidence that suggests that it improves sort of the daytime symptoms associated with sleep apnea, as well as some of the real cardiovascular risk factors that you see associated with it. So, you know, obviously there are patients that, that try it and aren't able to tolerate it. And from a criteria standpoint, we initially actually, when, when the uh, therapy first came out, there was a BMI cutoff. So it was a BMI of less than 35 and um, an AHI, which is the apnea hypopnea index between 15 and 65 per hour. That's actually been uh, very recently over the last couple of months or so have been liberalized. So the BMI cutoff is now uh, 40 or below, and the AHI is 15 to 100. I think at this juncture, though, from a practical standpoint, 
insurance companies have not really caught up to that new FDA guideline or the new FDA change in uh, inclusion criteria. So they're still relying on the older criteria, but I'm thinking hopefully soon it'll be liberalized from an insurance standpoint to be able to cover patients for the surgery as well. Yeah. Thanks for that. You know, I, I wanted to ask, what about those, you know, we talked about CPAP, we talked about the stimulator. What about um, those patients, you know, maybe on the milder side? What are, what are some other options other than the CPAP and the stimulator? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. The stimulator is great for treatment of sleep apnea, but like you said, it's good for moderate to severe sleep apnea. There are a host of other procedures and surgeries we can offer to, uh, to patients with mild obstructive sleep apnea. For example, it ranges from something as simple as a tonsillectomy especially in mild obstructive sleep apnea in patients that have larger tonsils and patients that qualify for or are, have the anatomy for it, something like palate surgery, for instance. So there's various sort of techniques that you can use, including the expansion sphincter pharyngoplasty, which is basically where you increase the uh, retropalatal airway with surgery. Some of the other soft tissue surgeries that we can do, and this, uh, this would depend on sort of the in-office evaluation on physical exam would be, uh, you know, if patients have a Enlarged uvula could involve a partial uvulectomy, a lingual tonsillectomy for patients with larger base of tongues or bases of tongue, and hyoid suspension, which would be sort of just uh, suspending the hyoid bone to improve some of the retroepiglottic airway, as well as surgery of the epiglottis as well. And there's also patients that do qualify for it. Skeletal surgery can also be performed, things like maxillary mandibular advancements and maxillary expansions. I personally don't perform these surgeries, but can certainly evaluate for them and refer patients for these types of surgery if it's indicated. You know, you mentioned about the evaluation in the office, and then yeah. I've also heard of drug-induced sleep endoscopy. Like, what, Definitely. you know, what, what is your exam you know, uh, what's that look like for the patient in the office? And then what's your sort of approach when you do drug-induced sleep endoscopy? Sure. From an office exam standpoint, it's usually pretty straightforward. It's a head and neck exam sort of geared towards looking at the palate, the tongue, sort of occlusion from a dental standpoint. And the drug-induced sleep endoscopy is actually a procedure that we then pursue. And I, I actually like doing the drug-induced drug-induced sleep endoscopy for as a precursor for most sleep surgery because it really does give us a lot of data in terms of where exactly some of this collapse related to obstructive sleep apnea may be taking place. So that is actually also a procedure that's required before we get approval for uh, hypoglossal nerve stimulation as well. And essentially, it involves going to sort of a procedure suite or an operating room setting in the presence of an anesthesiologist and using some sedative medications such as propofol to um, put patients in a sedated state. And uh, once in that sedated state, in this controlled setting, we're actually able to do a flexible endoscopy, much like what we do in the office, like a flexible laryngoscopy, uh, where we uh, put a uh, endoscope in the nose and uh, take a look at the various different levels of the airway. So um, I think we sort of talked about it a little bit relating to hypoglossal nerve stimulation, but we look at the retropalatal area behind the palate. We look at the retroglossal area, so the base of tongue, we also look at the lateral walls of the pharynx, and then we look at the epiglottis, and we look for patterns of collapse. So there are certain patterns of collapse that are you know, not really amenable for hypoglossal nerve stimulation, but are amenable for, say, palate surgery. So it gives us a lot of information as to what types of surgery a patient might be a candidate for. Now, I appreciate you taking me through that. You know, I think there's, there's a lot that you can get from that information. I, I 
I kind of sometimes forget about all the palatal stuff and even the, you know, some of the tonsil base of tongue stuff. But yeah, the sleep endoscopy is probably your best estimate as to what it might look like while the patient's sleeping. Definitely. Well, I, I really appreciate your time today. You know, as, as we wrap up, can you, can you give us some final take-home messages for, the, for our listeners? For sure, yeah. You know, I think it's sort of an exciting time right now, as I alluded to, for patients that are looking for alternative therapies for obstructive sleep apnea. And uh, while hypoglossal nerve stimulation is sort of one of the, the mainstay treatments as an alternative for CPAP, we have a wide array of, of surgeries we can offer. And, you know, even as a uh, corollary to that, even in patients that would like to continue with CPAP but are not tolerating pressures, sometimes it's useful to be evaluated by an ENT to see if there's any sort of nasal obstruction, for instance. And correcting nasal obstruction by doing a septoplasty or nasal surgery can actually improve CPAP adherence and bring down the level of pressure that you might need with your CPAP as well. So any patients that are having trouble with CPAP would be would be great candidates to sort of come in and, and see either one of my partners or I, since we're both trained in sleep medicine as well as sleep surgery, we'd be happy to help in terms of trying to troubleshoot and see how we can alternatively potentially treat sleep apnea. Well, this is great. And it's great to have you here at the Cleveland Clinic. And it's, it's nice that it's a bit of a homecoming for you. And, you know, for the folks that are interested, I, I understand you see people in your old hometown. I do. Yeah. Mostly in Westlake as well as Independence. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, for more information on surgical sleep and snoring services at Cleveland Clinic, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash sleepapnea. That's clevelandclinic.org slash sleepapnea. And to speak with a specialist or submit a referral, please call 216-444-8500. That's 216-444-8500. Dr. Ramprasad, thanks for joining Head & Neck Innovations. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Head & Neck Innovations. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website at clevelandclinic.org forward slash podcasts, or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Buzzsprout, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic experts in otolaryngology, head and neck surgery on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.com org forward slash head and neck. Thank you for listening and join us again next time.